Welcome to Choate's Litigation Updates, a podcast series hosted by our trial attorneys covering current litigation strategic issues in life sciences, financial services, healthcare, consumer products, and private equity. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Sam Rudman. I'm a principal in Choate Hall and Stewart's Complex Trial and Appellate Group, and I'm joined today by Yanni No, who's an associate in our litigation department. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the NCAA's recent rule changes when it comes to whether and when student athletes can receive compensation for the use of their name, image, and likeness, or NIL for short. Uh, Yanni, do you want to kick us off by talking through historically what were the NCAA's rules on NIL for student athletes? So the NCAA's amateurism rules, also known as Article 12 of the NCAA bylaws, prohibited student athletes from profiting from their name, image, and likeness. The NCAA also generally prohibited its student athletes from entering into agreements with agents. So what changed recently, Ani, that has sort of reshaped the landscape on this front? Well, to be clear, the NCAA didn't technically change their rules. Instead, it adopted an interim policy suspending its amateurism rules that prohibited student athlete from receiving NIL-related payments. The interim policy also allows student athletes to hire a professional services provider, like an agent or an attorney, to help with NIL activities. So is the baseline rule now that student athletes can receive compensation for the use of their name, image, and likeness? That's correct. And are there any restrictions on what form those payments can take or or the purpose of those payments? Well, student athletes still can't be paid to play. They can't be compensated for athletic participation or athletic achievement, and NIL transactions can't be used as a recruiting inducement. And related to that note, Sam, could you talk to us a little bit about how this interim policy has actually played out in the world of college sports? Absolutely, and thanks for the background on the rules and the changes, Yanni. Uh, The recent NCAA rule changes on NIL uh, have resulted in some pretty substantial changes for recruiting when it comes at least to high-level college football and high-level college basketball. Because of the rule changes, it is not the schools who are making NIL deals with student-athletes, but it's boosters associated with the schools. Uh, Boosters are broadly defined as supporters of a particular NCAA institution, it's safe to think of them as super fans, often who want to be financially involved or, su- or financially supportive of a particular institution. After it became clear that the NCAA was going to permit NIL payments, these boosters started forming collectives associated with the schools they supported. And it is these collectives who have been offering NIL deals to recruits. And I think the best way of getting into sort of where the action is here is through a recent controversy that's been in the news. As you said, Yanni, the rule is that student athletes can receive NIL deals uh, for services actually performed, like participating in a commercial for a particular product or particular business, but they can't receive an NIL payment uh, if the consideration is that they're going to sign with a particular school, say to play football there or sign an NIL deal that's contingent on their performance on the field. Uh, So Nick Saban, the head coach of Alabama, uh, recently accused Texas A&M, whose head coach is Jimbo Fisher, of paying for every player in their recruiting class. He said roughly 
that Texas A&M had bought or purchased every player in their class. Jimbo Fisher, the head coach of Texas A&M, responded in an angry public press conference saying that Texas A&M had not broken any rules uh, and that they hadn't bought or paid for every kid in their class. But he didn't deny that there had been NIL deals offered to Texas A&M recruits by Texas A&M boosters or a collective of boosters. And interestingly, Nick Saban did another press conference where he said, well, I never said that Texas A&M did anything wrong or broke any rules. I just said they, they paid for the kids in their class. And so I think that sort of highlights where the action is when it comes to NIL on the recruiting front now, which is what is a proper, fair NIL deal between a booster and a recruit? And where's the line between one of those deals and something that is in reality uh, a recruiting inducement or, or pay for play? So has the NCAA tried to do anything to clarify the ambiguity between what is a proper NIL deal and what is an improper NIL deal? They have. And that recent clarification was prompted not by necessarily the impacts on recruiting student athletes who are still in high school, but by allegations that teams or collectives of boosters were targeting players already on other rosters. So in the NCAA, there is a one-time free transfer rule, which means that a player can transfer schools and not lose eligibility, not sit out here, go play immediately a different school one time in his or her athletic career. And there were widespread media reports that schools with very active NIL collectives were offering lump sum payments to players on other rosters to use their one-time transfer to go to the other school and receive the NIL deal from the new school's collectives. That prompted the NCAA on May 9th to issue what it described as a clarification of its NIL guidance, which reiterated that boosters should not be involved in recruiting, and which reiterated that student athletes could not accept or agree to pay for play arrangements or improper recruiting inducements. And the NCAA's guidance even suggested that it would go back and enforce its rules in the case of egregious violations that had already occurred. So far, there have been no enforcement actions, but there are two recent developments which suggest that the NCAA is at least thinking about bringing enforcement actions. Uh, first, on June 9th, the NCAA sent a letter to its member institutions, which said that its enforcement staff was investigating what it said were multiple matters where the NCAA thought that NIL deals had potentially been used inappropriately. NCAA didn't say that it was definitely going to bring an enforcement action in connection with any of those cases, but it has multiple investigations ongoing. Second, uh, on June 15th, it was widely reported that NCAA enforcement staff had gone to the University of Miami in Florida to speak with at least uh, a prominent booster associated with the University of Miami and perhaps other Miami officials associated with the university and other boosters. Uh, sources quoted in the press described this as an inquiry, not an investigation, but safe to say it looks like the NCAA is looking into, uh, in some detail, what are the NIL deals that have already been consummated uh, and, and what do they look like? So Yanni, with that, with that sort of summary of current controversies, uh, what are the issues that you're watching in terms of potential future developments that bear on these issues? As you mentioned, the big question that people have on their mind right now is enforcement. 
is the NCAA going to actually go back and examine NIL deals and penalize policy violations? If so, who is the NCAA going to penalize and what will the penalty be? And I think the other big question people have on their mind right now is federal legislation. Will we see something from Congress in the near future? Democrats and Republicans have introduced a number of federal bills in the last few years, but none of them have gained much traction. And I think the current Wild West of NIL creates a new sense of urgency. Well, Yanni, thanks very much for that rundown on unresolved and potential future issues. If and when there are important developments to report, uh, we will check back in with another installment of this podcast. Thanks very much for listening. For more information, please visit www.choate.com. You can also listen to additional podcast episodes in the newsroom of our website and subscribe to them wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. The information presented in this recording is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice for a specific situation. If you wish to obtain legal advice, you should retain an attorney and explain the facts of your particular situation.